The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Um, well, thanks for um, thanks for having me back again. Um, the last time I spoke to you, it was on the story of Noah and the flood. And we talked about some of the parallels between how God's grace was manifested to Noah back in that day, the very first use of the word of grace, uh, the word grace in the Bible. And we looked at how his grace is manifested in the same way toward us today, even in this present day, uh, as... As uh, Brother Lostness might say, we connected the, the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we saw that the doctrines of grace, as we understand them today, have been unchanged throughout history. And so tonight's message is also from the Old Testament, and, and this time it's from the account of the prophet Jonah. Another one of the Old Testament's more epic stories. And I, I guess I'm sort of naturally drawn to these kind of stories, uh, these, these adventurous Bible stories. And if you know me, of course, you know that any story that involves adventure at sea, boats, storms, and really big fish, um, I'm all about it. I'm all over it. So, um, so that's, that's, where, uh, that's where we're going to go tonight. Um, we're not going to focus on the fish part of it so much, though. Um, and so the title of my, my message tonight is The Perturbed Prophet, uh, or More Than a Fish Story, because I think the, the book of Jonah is a lot more than just a, just a fish story. Um, and so, you know, of course, the Bible accounts of Noah and of Jonah, they're very well-traveled by most Christians. We've read and discussed these stories from... Uh, even the very earliest days of childhood, uh, from uh, Sunday school and on. Uh, but what I really like about these Bible accounts is that underneath the surface of the adventure uh, and the, you know, the unlikely success against unfathomable odds, there are very relevant and timely lessons for every Christian. In fact, I think sometimes maybe we skip past these well-tread Bible stories as adults because they're so familiar to us. But the reality is, as in the case with, with most any part of the Bible, is that if we dig just a little deeper, these stories are also very rich with lessons and applications uh, that we can apply to our Christian experience even in the present day. So tonight's message comes from the book of Jonah. And while I've certainly not even come close to exhausting all of the possible lessons out of this story, um, it's my hope that at the very least the message and the themes that I've chosen to share with you tonight will be thought-provoking, that everyone uh, listening would find something that resonates with them in their own situation, and their own standing with God. And perhaps even some, some of you will take some part of the message to heart uh, for the betterment of your daily walk with Christ or perhaps improve in some small way your effectiveness as a witness uh, of the gospel towards others. And so that's my hope tonight. So let's stand with me as we read our primary text from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Jonah, chapter 3, 
beginning in verse 10. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned away from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this church, for this place that we have to come and worship you. We, um, we thank you for our pastor, and, and we just pray uh, for his safety and for uh, uh, a productive time while he's away from here, a refreshing time for him. Um, we thank you for uh, your word and for how it applies to our, to our lives. And we just ask now that tonight um, you would just uh, bless the message that it would um, benefit those who are hearing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the story of Jonah, um, but nonetheless, we will be reviewing the events of this short book just to sort of put the rest of the message in its proper context. And so the book begins with God instructing Noah to go to Nineveh to warn the people of that city to repent and turn from their evil ways. For God was about to pour out his wrath upon that city because of their wickedness. And Nineveh was described as a great city, and it was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah, being a proud Hebrew, had no desire whatsoever to go to Nineveh. The Assyrians and, and the Jews were, were foes, and uh, Nineveh was, was really represented a great threat to, um, to Jonah. And so to him, the Assyrians were basically the scum of the earth. Uh, they were heathens. It was the last place he would want to travel to, kind of like uh, me wanting to go to Las Vegas. Not, not, not the place I want to go, right? Uh, in fact, it's probably sounded pretty good to him that God was about to pour out his wrath on that city, uh, perhaps in similar fashion as Sodom and Gomorrah. He was probably kind of looking forward to that. So Jonah, acting out of disobedience, decided he would try to ditch God. And so he caught a, t a ship to the city of Tarshish which by all accounts was roughly in the opposite direction of Nineveh. God was determined to ensure that Jonah stuck to his plan, so he caused a great storm that nearly wrecked the ship. And as the crew of the ship were running around and trying to save the ship, casting their belongings into the sea to lighten the load and crying out to their heathen gods, where was Jonah? Jonah was fast asleep down inside the ship completely unconcerned about the whole situation. And so I'm trying to figure out what must have been going through Jonah's mind at the time. And the only conclusion that I can draw 
is that his hatred for the Assyrians was so great that he would rather have perished in the sea if it meant that God's message would never reach Nineveh and that they would basically get what they deserve from God. He was so much at peace with this whole scenario that he felt it best to simply take a nap while the ship is on the brink of breaking in two. But the ship's crew found him and awakened him and learned that he was a Hebrew and that God had caused this storm to come about because of Jonah and his disobedience. And just then Jonah's conscience got the best of him and he he instructed the crew to toss him into the water lest the whole boat go down in the storm. Now at this moment it seems Jonah may have saw the writing on the wall and he knew that for the ship's crew to survive he would have to die. Uh, for it was absolutely clear to him that his disobedience was the cause of the peril that they were in. On the other hand, Jonah's request to be thrown overboard may also have been a result of his stubbornness, highlighting the, the extent of his disobedience towards God, such that he would rather die than fulfill the, the command that God gave him to go to Nineveh. Whatever the case... With some reluctance and with really no other option, the men cast Jonah into the sea, and the sea immediately grew calm. Now, God was determined that Jonah would still fulfill the command that he had been given, and in epic style, only as God can do, he prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and this is the part that we all know. And there Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, And the second whole chapter of Jonah recounts a poetic prayer that Jonah prayed from within the fish's belly. And Jonah's prayer describes his impossible situation along with an expression of his faith despite his impossible circumstances. And after three days, Jonah was vomited up onto dry land. And chapter 3 begins with God simply restating his command to Jonah. In Jonah 3.1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And I can just picture Jonah on the, on the shore, kind of, you know, shaking it off, hearing this again. And, uh, and it appears that this time God's correction towards Jonah was effective. Because this time Jonah arose and and went as he was commanded. And he set out on a three-day journey to reach the city of Nineveh. And when he got there, he delivered his warning unto the people of that great city. Now, it's interesting because after all of that, God's command, Jonah's disobedience, the storm, the the great fish, the long journey, um, you would think that Jonah would have given a bit more detail about the type of message that he delivered to that city. I mean, he was on a mission from God, and, you know, one would think that he would elaborate a little bit on the places that he preached, some of the details of his warnings, the responses that, that, uh, that, that he witnessed from people that heard his warning firsthand. But no, to the extent, uh, the extent of Jonah's account in his, uh, of his own message is um, strangely understated and is described in chapter 3, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
That's it. That's all he said about it. I'm sure he, he probably used a, a few more words than that to get his point across, but I see this as, uh, how I see this is that Jonah, after all that he went through, <clears throat> he was still very reluctant about his mission. So you know what he did? He did the bare minimum. You ever known somebody like this? You ever work with somebody like this? Um, he technically went to Nineveh and technically gave them the warning from God, right? But that's about it. He didn't go to any great lengths to exceed God's expectations of him. No, he did, he did the bare minimum. Kind of reminds me of an angry child who after being told to do something that he doesn't want to do and after maybe getting a spanking for his disobedience, He's so angry and hard-headed that he's finally going to comply, but will only do the bare minimum. Probably dawdling and wasting all kinds of time and probably doing the job with great mediocrity, a last-ditch effort to show rebellion, technically satisfying the requirement just enough to not get another spanking, but taking some satisfaction in doing just a mediocre job as a final jab toward his parent. We don't have any kids like that. Our kids are angels, and we've not, none of us parents, I'm sure, can, um, can, can relate to that uh, because of our godly children. But um, this is how I see Jonah in this situation. He walked into the city. He spoke his warning to enough people that the message would get around town, and he called it good. No need to elaborate. There's nothing to elaborate on. He technically met God's expectation, but inside... He hoped that his message would be lost on the heathen people, causing God to still exact his punishment on them and give them what they deserved. But in spite of the half-hearted effort, something amazing happened. Jonah's worst nightmare came true, basically. Despite his mediocre effort and the reluctant performance of his task, the Bible tells us that the entire city, everyone, from the king down to the lowliest of peasants, repented. They turned from their wickedness, they fasted, and they prayed, and they donned sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes as a display of their repentance. Even the livestock was covered with sackcloth. They took it that seriously. And uh, we read this in Jonah 3, verse 7 uh, and through 9. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And we see God's response in verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. God saw by their actions that their repentance was genuine. He saw that they really did turn away from their evil ways. And he showed mercy to Nineveh, withholding his punishment. So then we go back to Jonah. He must have been happy about that, right? 
No. That really got Jonah steaming. I mean, he, he is maybe uh, at the height of his anger at this point. Despite his best attempt at mediocrity, God had the audacity to make Jonah's message effective. How dare him? Not just kind of effective, but totally effective. Totally. The nerve. The entire city repented. Not just some people, but all of the people were given mercy from God. And instead of being satisfied with a job well done, as most of us probably would have done, in fact, most of us, having been in Jonah's shoes, we would have looked at the results and gone out of our way to let everyone know about the great thing that we've done, right? What a great prophet I am, right? I've saved an entire city. I'm the greatest. I rule, right? This one's for Samuel and Benjamin and, and the, the boys. They, uh, I, God didn't tater them, right? Yeah. That's an inside joke. Look how good I am. No, not Jonah. Instead of being satisfied with a job well done, he was miserably angry with what had happened. And this is where we come to our text verse. We'll read it again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentance thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then saith the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? Knowing that as God could show such mercy to a bunch of Assyrians was too much for Jonah to handle. He would have rather died than to see those people living under God's favor. So he stormed off and went up on the hillside, overlooking the city, and he made a primitive shelter in a location where he uh, had a good view of the city. He was still holding out some hope. You know, it was a long shot, but he was still holding out some hope that God would change his mind. He was intent to sit up there and stew in his own self-pity and watch what would become of the city. He came to announce and witness the destruction of the city, not to save the city from God's wrath. That was really what he was planning to do. And even though God clearly expressed his intention to show mercy towards the city, Jonah was still holding out hope that maybe there would be some fireworks after all. The conditions were very difficult for Jonah up on the hill. It was hot and dry and windy. God again showed kindness and mercy towards Jonah by causing a gourd, a broad-leafed plant, to grow overnight to provide just the right amount of shade for Jonah, intending that it would ease his grief. And Jonah was thankful, probably like he was thankful for the whale, right, or the big fish. Uh, the scripture says that Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. And then God began messing with Jonah a little bit in order to really make his point. He, he sent a worm to eat away at the vine, and that caused it to wither the very next night. So here Jonah again shows his temper, throwing a tantrum after finding out that the gourd had died. So God just kind of turns up the pressure another little notch on Jonah, causing a strong wind and intense heat. So you know when the air temperature gets above a certain point, uh, 
air movement actually causes heat to feel more intense than rather than cooling the body. So uh, I, I remember my dad teaching me this as, when I was a kid, sitting in a sauna at a hotel. He showed me how blowing on my arm caused it to get really, really hot rather than cooler, right? And uh, this is how I picture Jonah's condition at this point. He was basically in a convection oven. Having literally been put through the ringer, Jonah has been broken down to the point where he would rather just die than continue to live. But he's still angry. Nonetheless, God has got him on the ropes, and he's going to finish up this experience by teaching him the lesson that he's been too stubborn and hard-headed to understand all along. And so in Jonah 4.9, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Pretty stubborn. And then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should, I not, and should not I spare Nineveh, the great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? In other words, you stubborn, self-centered fool. You, can, you care more about this silly plant that you didn't even plant, by the way, than you do for this city full of people, people that are lost, people that have nobody to tell them about God, who are at the mercy of their sinful nature. These people were, as we all once were, spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, and in desperate need of God's mercy and grace to cause them to repent and turn from their sinful ways and put their faith in God Almighty. But, God, but Jonah cared more for that gourd than he did about those people. And what Jonah didn't realize, but that God planned all along, is that by turning around the people of Nineveh, it, uh, some people estimate that this event might have delayed the Assyrian captivity of Israel by 130 years. Uh, in com- regardless, in completing this mission, Jonah was God's instrument in both reaching the lost heathen souls of Nineveh while also assuring the welfare of Israel for, for a while at least. So what do we take away from this account of Jonah? So now we'll get into our listening sheet. That's the overview. I'm kind of starting to sound like pastor. 20-minute overview, right? So first we see that the judgment is God's job. Uh, judgment is God's job, not ours. Judgment is God's job, not ours. God had a plan for the people of Nineveh, but Jonah also had a plan. Jonah had already made up his mind that those people were undeserving of God's mercy, and it wasn't just because of their sinfulness. It was more than that. Jonah could not stomach the prospect that God would have mercy and show favor toward the Assyrians because they were Assyrians. They were their enemies because they were not Jews. His abject hatred for the Assyrians obscured his obedience to God's will the entire time. And instead, he was intent on carrying out his own judgment on those people. Through his lackluster efforts, he was trying to trump God's will, but God would not allow it. Jonah was a proud Hebrew, but he failed to realize his own faults. 
He overlooked his own sinfulness and disobedience and somehow thought himself so much better than those heathen Assyrians. He failed to realize how under different circumstances God could just as easily exert his wrath upon him as those terrible Assyrians. After all, we know from Matthew chapter 5 that you don't actually have to kill someone to be guilty in God's eyes of the sin of murder, do you? 521 in Matthew. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Anger and hostility toward another is enough for God to judge you of murder, something that Jonah completely failed to realize. And what about us? Are we ever guilty of this? Playing God by casting judgment upon others? Deciding for ourselves how godly someone else is? Or deciding how worthy someone might be to receive the gospel message? I think the word judgment requires a few qualifiers. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with calling sin, sin. We, we ought to do that. God has already judged many types of behaviors to be sin. So saying that something like murder or adultery or stealing are, are wrong, that's not being judgmental. That's just acknowledging what sin is. In these cases, we're being objective. We're acknowledging something that God has already judged to be sin. We ought not be accepting of sin or linger in the presence of it. And that's not being judgmental. But at the same time, we are sometimes quick to forget that the underlying issue in the lives of unsaved people is sin. A problem that all of us are familiar with. We, we tend to look at a person who's caught up in sin and play God with them. Judge them. Keep our distance. Essentially writing them off as unworthy of receiving the gospel. Unworthy of God's grace. We're quick to forget where we came from and how God showed his mercy toward us as sinners, dragging us out of the darkness of sin by his grace and giving us new life as a believer in Christ Jesus. We all know that sin in whatever form will continue unless something is done to cause a person's heart to be open to the gospel, resulting in repentance and faith. God makes that happen. Just like he made it happen to the people of Nineveh, but he demands our participation to reach people for him. Hebrews 10.30 For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. James 5.9 Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So how did being judgmental work out for Jonah? God had his way anyway, and Jonah only became more and more miserable because of the judgment he harbored against the Assyrian people. Let's not play judge. Let's leave that to God. Let's be mindful that our own judgment can easily get in the way of our effectiveness as a witness for Christ. Second on a listening sheet is that God is patient with our imperfection. God is patient with our imperfection. So, 
how many imperfections can you list for Jonah in this story? Probably a lot of them. I have a few. He was obstinate. He was angry. He was reluctant. He was judgmental, proud, disobedient, a grumbler, cantankerous, self-centered, on and on and on. But make no mistake, God knew all of these shortcomings about him all along. It was not a surprise to God. Despite all these imperfections, God repeatedly showed mercy and kindness towards Jonah, and he also used a firm hand with him at times. A little bit of tough love. A lot of tough love. But he never gave up on him. God's plan to bring about repentance among the people of Nineveh could not be stopped. Jonah fled by sea, God brought a storm. The men threw Jonah overboard, God sent a fish. Jonah gave a minimal effort to preach the message, God caused every single person to repent. He used Jonah despite his shortcomings, and through him, he performed a marvelous work. This should give us comfort in reminding us that we do not need to be perfect, or sometimes even very good at all, in order for God to accomplish great things through us. Despite all of our inabilities and our imperfections, our attitudes, our biases, God can do great things through us if only we will act. If only we will move forward and take some action for God's purpose. Do you hesitate to get more active in the church or become more involved in a ministry? Is there hesitation to talk with others about Christ because you think maybe you aren't skilled enough or not confident enough to do a good job? I think this story makes it pretty clear that if we are doing God's will, he will more than compensate for our shortcomings. And this is supported in Philippians chapter 4. We all know this. I can do, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We all have shortcomings. Let's take comfort in knowing that God can overcome all of them. And let's also take comfort and exercise patience with others, realizing that God can overcome the imperfections of others as well. So we've discussed the proper place for God's judgment, and we've discussed God's patience with our imperfection. And finally, we see from this story that anger accomplishes nothing. Anger accomplishes nothing. God asked Jonah on a couple of occasions, Doest thou well to be angry? In other words, is your anger making you feel any better? How many have had that conversation with their kids? No, no one in here, I'm sure. Right? Is your anger making you feel any better? Um, is it helping you to be angry? Is your anger going to change anything? No, it's not. As parents, we know that. God knows that as well. In fact, his anger and stubbornness caused him to be pretty miserable, even to the point where he was teetering on the edge of death. Nobody was keeping him up on that hill baking in the sun and drying up in the wind. He was there by choice. 
His own stubborn and angry attitude is what kept him on that hill. We've all been angry. And I'm sure that at one time or another, to one degree or another, we've all had thoughts where we've questioned God's wisdom. Or maybe in difficult times, even had thoughts of anger or frustration towards God in our helplessness to change whatever situation there was. And I think Jonah's story teaches us that in those times and in those types of circumstances, when anger, frustration, anxiety, worry, or just plain stubbornness is creeping into our lives, we should remember this question. Doest thou well to be angry? Doest thou well to be frustrated? Doest thou well to worry? We would be far better off to be accepting of God's will, even though we don't understand his master plan. Proverbs twenty nine, twenty two, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Jonah was so angry he could hardly function, but all the while he failed to realize that the course of events that God had caused to occur would be in the long-term, well, immediate-term best interest of Israel and the land and the people that he cared most deeply about. Rather than embracing anger and stewing in our own self-pity, we'd be better off accepting God's supreme will and drawing closer to him in difficult times. Our anger, hostility, and frustration will not make anything better. We should have faith and trust that God's plan is always supreme. So we've seen through Jonah's experience that we should be mindful about our own judgmental attitudes and how they can hinder our witness for Christ. We should ask ourselves, do I withhold from sharing the gospel with others because I've judged them to be unworthy of receiving God's grace? If not, maybe I've simply judged them to not be interested in the things of God. So I don't go there with them. In either case, the result is the same. God has commanded us to share the gospel with all people. Let's leave the judgment up to him. We've also been reminded to rejoice and take confidence from the fact that God and his greatness can compensate for our imperfections. If you are reluctant or feel ill-equipped to do God's work, take this lesson to heart and be confident that if you simply put forth the effort, God will take care of the rest if it is in his will. And finally, we're warned about the consequences that our own attitudes can have on our relationship with God, as well as the detrimental effects our own attitudes can have in our life in this present world. Maybe some bad circumstances have crept into your life, or you're allowing anger, hostility, resentment, jealousy, self-pity to be your focus. Ask yourself, doest thou well to be angry? And remember that if you simply trust God, have faith in him, and lose the anger and hostility, your relationship with God will improve, and your circumstances in this world may also improve just by adjusting your attitude. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, those who have come out tonight and listened to the message. We, I just pray that uh, something that I've said tonight and something of your word would have resonated with, with those who are here tonight. Bless the people here tonight. and. Uh,
just uh, continue to bless our pastor in his time away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.